to episode five of the Eat, Drink, Travel Y'all podcast. I'm so excited this week to have Seattle chef, rock star, uh, chef Brendan McGill in the house talking about his story, food, Bainbridge Island, what's coming next. Brendan, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're uh, we're sitting on Bainbridge Island right now. I am so excited. So the first few podcasts I did, I told you I filmed them kind of in a Zoom situation, which was not as much fun. No, as getting to come out and and eat and drink with you and this take a little better. ferry. Yeah, this yeah. is awesome. Um, the wee ferry, as we like to call it. Oh, is that? Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. So we're gonna get into everything that's going on with this man. He's got a lot of. Things Things going on uh, this week and in the immediate future. But first, um, just tell us, Brendan, a little bit about yourself, how you got into cooking, your road to Seattle, and and let's go from there. Sounds great. Um, you know, it's cooking is really the only job I've ever had. I, I, I took some other odd jobs, but I started uh, when I was about 14 washing dishes in this sweet little ice cream parlor in my hometown of uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. And you are I, from Alaska. I'm from Alaska. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I'm so out of touch. <laughs> well, it's been a long time since I've lived there. And I didn't work there for very long, mostly just because I only showed up half the time <laughs> and I was kind of a shithead. But um it's okay if I say shit. You can you can say shithead. Okay. You can say okay. fuck if you want to. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. That was the next question. Um, and so um, we were there. We had a lot of tourists there, and the scene wasn't a vibrant, independent restaurant scene of like locally folk, like folk and chefs. But um, I did learn all of the basics of restaurants in in the most beautiful way. You know, kind of the underbelly of big hotels and. You know, the, the stuff that's been really um, romanticized since just kind of like workaday restaurant life before the Food Network had people giving people ideas of what it was like. I got to do that for, you know, the first seven years of my career, which um, I fell in love with it at that level. Yeah. And then when I realized, you know, that I was pushing, I think I was, you know, college age, I was like 21. And I didn't really have any plans to go to school or a university or something. And I, you're still in Alaska. Uh, no, I, at this point, I lived in Washington. I moved to Seattle when I was 21. Okay. I, yeah, 2001. And so uh, I was just working in restaurants and having a great time and just, you know, living life. Yeah. And um, then uh, my, my parents offered to help me go to the Art Institute of Seattle. And I decided that it would be really smart to... Um, to get a degree in something pertaining to this. And I was more focused in the front of the house at the time, but I, I saw the way that chefs kind of swung all the power in the restaurant and that there'd be these poor restaurant owners and managers who were just always bending over backwards to accommodate some like lunatic chef. So I thought, <laughs> well, at the very least I should become like qualified as a chef so that I can do whatever I want and not be, you know, you see these people who have these big restaurant ideas. And then part of their plan is like, find a chef Yeah, <laughs> like you're just going to check that box yeah, and then yeah. everything will be great. You know, you pay them and then it's good. Yeah. Right? It's great. No big deal. Just find a, just find the perfect chef for this just restaurant. Find the perfect Easy. chef. Yeah. That's how it goes. So, um, it, that's when I really started falling in love with it and learning about it and going down that route to kind of like the true cooks thing. And, um, I just stuck with it. I cooked in Seattle restaurants for about 10 years and then I opened my own, which was Hitchcock on Bainbridge Island. 
And, um, and what year was that? That Brendan? was 2010. 2010. Okay. Yeah. So 11 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just I, a minute. It's amazing how, how time flies. Cause I, I still feel like that guy, but a lot's changed since then. And we were literally just sitting downstairs at at, uh, at Cafe, Hitchcock. Cafe Hitchcock now yeah, on Bainbridge right. Island. And how many people, I couldn't talk to this guy because <laughs> so many people kept coming in and having to, having to chat with him, which is, which is amazing. You know, when, when I opened my first restaurant, it was, um, it became chef tasting focused pretty quick because of what we were doing there and the press we received. And in 2011, I think uh, Rebecca Den and uh, Nancy Leeson came in and really sort of told the world about, um, they were the Seattle Times former and current um, food writers and food critics at the time. And this was back when that, I feel like it meant something different than a little bit. Like we got three stars yeah. and that landed in everybody's mailbox. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we knew we were going to have a busy summer. Yeah. And they said, cede your whims to the chef and take, do the tasting. And so we were, we were packed, you know, and um, it saved us tiny brand new restaurant. They were doing big construction on Winslow way. And everyone told me restaurants don't like make it on Bainbridge. And you I didn't prove them wrong. Well, I didn't understand why, and we have incredible agricultural resources here. Absolutely. And I think that this idea that you could get on a boat and go have a dinner on an idyllic island hadn't been ingrained in the Seattle public. Um, it seems unreachable. It's, yeah. it's so romantic and lovely that, I right. mean, you don't expect, and, you know, you're not from here. I'm from Alabama. I was telling you when I got over here today on the island, like I just still to get on a ferry and come over and be able to have a drink and d- yeah. dinner with you. And then I jump back. I'm back by eight or nine o'clock. Right. Like it's such a, like a magical thing. It could be like five 30 and you're in the Pike place market, just being a tourist and see those pretty boats. And you're like, let's just go get on let's one. Let's go do it. And then you got a seven 30 dinner reservation and you're on the nine 45 back. And then you're like a cool bar downtown Seattle. Yeah. It's part of the greater urban experience, right? Yeah. So we really tapped into something there and the timing was good. You know, we were kind of right at this tail end of the recession. And um, I don't know. It's like Malcolm Gladwell outliers kind of stuff. You know, I was in this the right time and place. And everyone started talking about farm to table cuisine. And so we rode this wave from Yeah, that was really in like 2010, that was when like farm to table was really gaining a lot of traction. Yeah, and, you know, we made a lot of jokes about it then, but um, kind of our workforce was like all these, uh, you know, a 20-year-old then was a millennial who cared about craft work and, you know, things being made by hand and authenticity. And there seemed like there was a lot of interest in it. You could assemble people who, um, if they spent any time cooking in a professional restaurant, when they saw what was walking in the door of this one, they knew that something was different and it was like worth the extra time and effort and hours and commute even. And so we just, as our star rose with the local and national press, you know, in 2013, I got a food and wine uh, acknowledgement, like people's best new chef. Yeah. And then 2014 followed the Beard semifinalist nomination and, uh, and, you know, star chefs in 2015. Mm -hmm. So like, it was like every year there was, we we were on this track and I was kind of, I don't know if I was unhealthily obsessed with it, but <laughs> I was doing what any young chef would do. You're just trying yeah. to do the best you can. Um, in the meantime, we were growing the company. So I built the deli, uh, the original Hitchcock deli next to <clears throat> Hitchcock restaurant in mm-hmm. late 2011. Um, this was just like, there was 13 empty storefronts around us in the middle of a recession on an Island in the middle of the sound. So things were a little more accessible then. Yeah. And um, the 
then we built a deli in Georgetown. And then at some point I decided I was going to go big. There was a lot of ins and outs and, and ways to get there, but we built our big pizzeria Bruchato across the street from Hitchcock 2017. Okay. Open cafe Hitchcock downtown in the exchange yep. building. Um, Which is right by where I lived. Right by where you lived. Mm-hmm. Followed that with Bartolio in the in the corner of the exchange building. Yeah. Little Express Cafe. Upstairs. Super cute. I, I love that space. So that was, you know, 2010 to 2019 in the early 2020, even in the Hitchcock Restaurant Group. I mean, January 2020, Bartolio was four months old, just gotten into the black. That whole property was popping. And I thought, man, 2020 is going to be, be great. a hell of a year. <laughs> oh, no. Like we did it. All of the work of these 10 years, we made it and here we are. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that's kind of a quick synopsis of, of, um, and then, and then the world shut down, but, but yeah. you were, so let's talk a little bit about just, you know, okay. So we're here 2020. Yeah. You Bartoglio, like things are, things are happening for you. Then the pandemic starts. Um, I feel like you, you know, the COVID really just the way that we got to see people react and pivot. And I'm starting yeah. to hate the fucking word pivot I at know. this point. Like pivot, hey, pivot, pivot, we pivot, pivot, pivot. I had to pivot. We all had to pivot, pivot our business, pivot. but but, pivot, pivot. but yeah, right. <laughs> but but I I do feel like you were one of the very, like you were very successful in remaining relevant, giving people a place to go, like doing all these outside different kinds of pop ups, almost like on a weekly basis for months at a time. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about how that was being on an island in a pandemic and having a restaurant that, I mean, I came over here, I don't know what it was, June or July of, yeah. of 2020. And you were doing the oysters. Y'all were grilling right. out oysters. It was at amazing. The, at that point. Thank you. At that point we were doing, um, we started our pop-ups on the patio, which was weekly programming where we would cook like Wednesday pie, taco Tuesday, um, Friday oysters, Saturday barbecue. I couldn't keep up with it all. Yeah. It was so good. We kept adding it one at a time. And some of it was situational. It was like, people will eat outside. It's nice. People are getting on the ferry and walking around. There's some traffic to capture, but they can't come in the restaurant because we were completely closed down inside. So we had a takeout operation going from Hitchcock that was called Sacker Burgers then, which was really popular. Yeah. People were just buying all these smash burgers. Um, smash burgers are delicious. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really know it was such, big, know. such a big deal, you know? Um, but we knew it was like food that was designed to eat in your car yeah, or in the park. Yeah. It had to be, you know, the early Hitchcock family meal experience where you get like a roast chicken and all the sides. Yeah. Yeah. hundred dollars fed your family of four or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, it wasn't that compelling. Like yeah. going to lukewarm roast chicken, you know? Yeah. It's, it, house, yeah, so. it's, it just it doesn't travel. A warm burger in the car. It's a takeout yeah. is hard, and, and that's been it. such a challenge for chefs. It's like okay, first of all, I have to make this food that's good, and then right. I have to make it good so when you reheat it at home, yeah. that it's good. So you have to design it for that. Yeah. So entirely on the patio, challenge. you know, we had great summer weather, and that was the whole plan. It was like Taco Tuesday is kind of a no brainer, and the liquor board let us do some drinks outside and started to be a little looser with us and uh paella on wednesday i was like these are the things that 50 people can line up i can make this big paella and we can serve 50 people a 15 dollar paella and they can have some drinks we can bring a couple thousand bucks and and it fed the community yeah people were like 
you know, we put like you know flamenco music on, and people. Yeah, you guys were always having a party over here. Yeah, like we get to do something. Yeah, it's like an ordeal to get out of the house. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and like, you know, we always knew that safe outside. I mean, people appropriately distanced. Yeah, yeah. Let's make the most of it. Uh, we had a uh, an employee named Sam Pinner who had arrived here from Atlanta through some just like random means. So we built this whole three stacks barbecue concept around his uh, barbecue experience mm-hmm. and just you know capitalized on his southern charm and <laughs> um, <laughs> it was just it was fun. You I know? love it. So we kept leaning into these things, giving people a reason to come out. Yeah. And um, is he still working for you? He's not. He just left. You know, okay. he just went back to uh, people. One thing we were really blessed with during this process was that people stuck around it was like oh, okay and it even attracted people they would say like they call their cook friends they see them on instagram what are you doing you get to cook like what yeah you and they'd be like come on out man we're just in this like you know magical place where the people show up we cook outside we figure something out and we get to do what we do and even be hospitable and um like it's okay yeah i think they were fleeing atlanta because it was just like a mask off apocalypse in the restaurants yeah. and they didn't want to, they didn't feel comfortable working. There. Yeah, absolutely. So here it was safe to do so. And, you know, um, so then, uh, the Sackerbergers pop-up sort of became, yeah, that kind of transformed into, it got cold outside. We had 25 and then 50% dine in. We knew we could have some people inside, some people outside, make up, make it more hospitable and warm outside as best as we could. Uh, we talked with the city out of one parking spot so we could kind of <laughs> put a tent there with the little plaza yeah, next door. It's very cute. And you know, that struck a nerve too. People like people wanted good things for their family here. Of course. That wasn't just chef tastings on their birthdays and anniversaries. Yeah. Yeah. People want to be able to go out and get a burger or pizza right? or and a pizzeria, people understood how to do takeout from a pizzeria. Exactly. And it might have calved our our sales into a quarter or a third of what we were doing when a hundred people could sit down and, and dine properly, but we could keep our core together and run our menu. We didn't have to change it into a hundred different things because that worked well. Yeah. Well, um, let's backtrack just a little bit because you mentioned on um, the paella nights yeah. and, you know, we were chatting a little bit before this and you were telling me how you have traveled and cooked in Spain. That's right. And yeah. so give us just a little bit of, of that background of cooking in Spain. I think you've mentioned mm-hmm. the Basque region, how it influenced you. I'm so jealous. It's like San Sebastian <laughs> is the number one travel destination on my list. Have you been? I haven't. I've been yeah. to Spain. I've been right. to Barcelona and Europe, but it's, uh, no, not the Basque region. And it's very magical to me. I worked with Pincho for a long time oh, in Belltown. Right. Yep. And so that was one of the first restaurants I ever worked with. So sp- Spanish food is very oh, yeah. like close to my heart. Well, Pincho existing was actually what started being my Spanish. My Spanish journey. Oh, really? Turn off these notifications here. This seems good. He's a busy man. (laughs) Yeah. um, So when the owners of the Harvest Vine, which was Seattle's highly awarded, um, you know, Spanish Basque restaurant in the Madison Valley, Mm -hmm. uh, decided to open a tapas bar in Belltown. It was called Chori. And it was a pincho bar that was like San Sebastian style pinchos. Yeah. And then they also had just closed on 
a, a chateau in kind of this forgotten town on the French side of the border in French Basque country. It was a little town called Navarrete, and they bought the chateau there. Okay. And Amazing. It was, you know, it was a dilapidated chateau in this backwater and beautiful countryside that isn't, like, highly economically viable <laughs> these days. Got so. it. Yeah. It's where Osao Irati cheese comes from. I mean, it's 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 storied for its uh, you know culinary tradition, but there's not like a lot of great industry. It's kind of like the woods around here. Yeah. Um, I mean, except for that, like a hundred head of sheep will just go like wandering across the pasture. <laughs> except for that. Chateau. Uh, so um, they decided to open this bar, Chori, and they had some holes in their lineup. Uh, some people I'd worked with had moved over there, uh, and so they called me up and I connected the dots and applied and this was back when this is in belltown this was a uh, chori was in belltown but they were opening chori so the some of the management from harvest fine was there, there yeah okay and there was this you know cook position and this was back i just had a talk with the sous chef there who hired me this last year consultant we did a podcast together okay i said how many people apply for that job you know because it was it was a different world and yeah. it was like a lot so I was like lucky. I scored the job at the yeah, hot shit place. Look at you. I worked like every day for a year. I had just got married. I didn't have a single day off with my wife for that year. And when we got always good for a relationship. <laughs> it was a good way to set a precedent, I suppose. <laughs> and, uh, she knew what to expect. She knew that anyway when we met, you know, I mean, married a chef. So um we needed a break after that, and I was able to ghost i knew i had a place to stay at the dilapidated chateau in basque country <laughs> oh my god Amazing. so that became like a home base and we uh we decided uh that at that point my wife's family her parents were living in quito ecuador so we took this the gran viaje to quito ecuador and then the caribbean and then i wanted i'd never been to europe and i wanted to kind of and how old are you brendan you at that time i was 27 time to travel 28 maybe no kids no dog yeah the time to do it buddy yeah Yeah. backpacks all the time in the world and just exactly however much money we saved in those two years oh my god i love it so you're doing this huge like around the world really south america caribbean europe all over the world yeah and how long were you in spain I think we were there for probably I don't know, three, four months. I, I'm not, it's like, it's a little murky now. <laughs> I think the whole trip was about eight months, but I, I would need to. That sounds amazing. I want to go on an eight month around the world trip, please. You know, it's like, I, I laugh so hard now. We, um, we got married and we asked for like, instead of buying us a Cuisinart, just put a hundred bucks in the, in the box. Or yeah. And so we put together about 10 grand that way. And then, um, we say we moved from our loft in Pioneer Square into this cheap apartment on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Saved a thousand a month. A cheap apartment in Capitol Hill that doesn't exist anymore. It was very 2010. <laughs> okay, sorry. It was right upstairs from the Wild Rose, so <laughs> okay. I could listen to like karaoke at night. And <laughs> God, that's great. It was good. It was live. It was it was good living. Um, and so you know, it's a comical to imagine living for like eight months abroad on twenty grand. It's like it's that backpack style where we traveled with this organization called Cerebos that was all about hosting and, and, and traveling. And so it's just like amazing old, very low tech, um, like Gandhian principled Mm -hmm. organization of the interconnectivity of humanity. People just open their doors to you. I love it. Stay with them. And I would cook with them. So everywhere we went, I would send a cover letter and I would say, I'm a young chef with my brand new newlywed couple. We want to experience your culture. 
And in the time we're here, I want to go shop your market and cook a beautiful meal. Please invite your friends, especially anyone who is in this world connected. And then you start playing off those connections. So that's amazing. You know, and you know, Susie Pratt, I'm sure. And so she was on the podcast two weeks ago and she, you know, she got her start traveling and doing photos with couch surfing. So this is so like a very that. similar yeah, sounding. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. What a, yeah. You know, and um, it, yeah. So this is how you just get around and you're living with people in places that you would never travel to. Yeah. Because they're not like the center of the destination. Mm-hmm. And we would find hosts in the big cities too, you know, in Amsterdam and Sevilla and Barcelona and Madrid and, and you know, San Sebastian. But you'd also book, um, you know, a little like habitaciones and just cheap places to stay but those are always the most fun i feel like too it's like everyone goes to mexico city and and barcelona and you know it's it's cool to find some of the like off the beaten even like regionally traveling like the smaller off the beaten path stuff can always be more fun you are much more likely to get invited to stay longer because uh the the deal is when they uh, accept you there's two nights that is implied with them accepting you as a guest, but they can invite you to stay longer. And so some people were busy. They had a nice place in Amsterdam and they were just yeah. boom, boom, boom. Like, Oh, we got another traveler. Yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but if you're in like the mountains of Southern Portugal, right. Like how long you want to stay here. Amazing. Which like, I want to go to the mountains of Southern Portugal. That yeah. sounds have you been to Portugal as well? Yeah. I mean, uh, it, we flew into Faro um, and I think from Dublin maybe. And, um, they, we went in, you know, the mountainous Algarve region and I'm trying to remember the name of the little town. I mean, it was like, I love I, that. we emailed someone there and they were like, come stay. That's amazing. And so does this, it's an app. It's a website. It's, does it still exist? Do you it, know? It, it does exist, but it never has been. And I doubt it will ever be a, a an app. app. Yeah. They have a website. It's called usservas.org. Spell it. S-E-R-V-A-S. Okay. It's the Esperanto language for to serve. That's I was, I was yeah. noticing that maybe that was a connection. Uh-huh. And I think it formed after the Second World War as a loose organization to try to get host soldiers and find them on their way to get them home. People who are <laughs> lost or deserted. Oh, or my just, God. Yeah. Um, and it's like every time, I mean, in Seattle, you could sign up with Servas. A local host will meet you. They kind of look at your stuff. And they sort of vet you, like, yes, you are a citizen who is yes. who you say you are. Yeah. And then after that, I mean, it's like someone will just let you in their house. And it's like people would say to them, are you crazy? You got two Americans staying in your house? Do you know them? And they would say, well, I mean, if someone let you stay in their house, would you steal all their stuff? Yeah. Like, yeah, no. that's... yeah. He's in my house cooking dinner right now. I mean, I have not done the Servas, but I've done a lot of like traveling around the world where I've done like Airbnb where you stay in a room in someone's house. Yeah. And and same when I've traveled, mm-hmm. when I, uh, you know, when it's not COVID and I'm traveling a lot, I have Airbnb'd my place out. And like people would ask me that a lot too. Like, are you nervous people being in your home or you don't, you, you feel comfortable staying in someone else's house? I'm like, they, they have reviews. It's like an, you know what I mean? Yeah, like right. it's, it, I, yes, I feel very safe. And I have, I have had amazing experiences staying in people's homes all over the world. Once you get in that network too, they'll call their friends like, Oh, Hey, you know, Hey, this guy will cook you an awesome meal. If you yeah. have him over at your house, I had these lifelong, I mean, we still have these connections with these people all over Europe who we just stayed at their homes and created this bond. And I would have like an intern who went on a, 
their culinary journey and found the same hosts and stayed with them and shared similar experiences. So my thing was, if you want to learn how to cook a bouillabaisse, because you study all the kind of like continental classics in culinary school. I mean, you can kind of like try everybody's different style, but if you go to Marseille and you eat bouillabaisse everywhere, now you know what that is. And if you have a good palate and like, access those flavor memories. So if you want to know about paella, to tie this back together, go all up and down La Comunidad Valenciana and the Costa Blanca. And you're like, now you'll understand like rice culture and mm-hmm. seafood culture, beachside paella, who's doing it for real? What a kind of a shitty um, tourist paella works like, <laughs> or just like how they serve it from a train station when you're there and it's like a, a big line. So we took that and like, that's what we were doing outside of, of Hitchcock, you know? Um, and that, yeah. And that came back. That was something you did in your late twenties and traveling. And now that comes back and influences what you're doing. Like last summer here, which is, I mean, traveling and food and cooking and gaining knowledge is now we have like Instagram and YouTube and incredible book information and you don't have to travel the world to gain a lot to of this the, information. To get the education, but right. you have access to it. But it is not the same. It is not the same. It, it it isn't. And I feel like, I mean, for me, just experiencing certain things, being in certain places with people. I mean, I can't, I think I quoted this on my last podcast and I can't remember the exact quote that Anthony Bourdain says. In, and I can't remember which book it is in of his, but he says something along the lines of like, um, so little of a meal is the food. It all yeah. comes back to the experiences, how you felt, where you ate it, where you were. And those yeah. are the things that, you know, that we want, you know, you as a chef, like want to recreate for someone in a restaurant. But the the experience itself, it's just, it's, it's so special. And to talk to you about how, yeah, you took these inspirations from your young, you know, life, right. traveling the world and cooking. And now to see them manifest 10, 12, 13 years later in your restaurant, like that's, I feel like what makes like just food and what you, what you guys are doing so great. It, it should be part of any cook's development and journey is, uh, you know, we could have bought a house in 07 with a down payment with what we blue running around the world and then i am proud to say that i've repeated that poor financial decision <laughs> over and over and over yeah and this is what's making our life so rich you yeah know? Absolutely. Whether, whether or not you did it the, the, a certain way I, and yes. um you know my wife was really well traveled in places i'd never been when we met and has just really kind of pushed that as a as a value and even with our young family i mean we go places all the time and I would tie in my, my restaurant work to it. So I have this uh, philosophy I call like family work lifestyle. And I would only say yes to proposals and events that included all those things at the same time. So it's like go to Iceland and cook on a glacier for a, you know, environmental documentary. Yes, because I can bring my family and I will, it's, it builds part of our life experience and our style and it's also work and I get to do it all at once. Yeah. Have you done that? Yes. Oh my, okay. I'm like, I, I I didn't pull that one out of my head. I was like, okay, you couldn't have made that up. Uh, That sounds amazing. Cook on a glacier. Well, and the funny thing was the actual documentary, it fell through after we bought the plans. Um, 
And then we kept the ticket and the organizers and stuff kind of put us up and showed us through. And I cooked them a meal and they had the local friends through. That's and amazing. Got, and like that, it's the same. And I staged at Dill while I was there, their Michelin star restaurant. So, you know, you just make you like, I, w- I could do that. I'm going to be this like, you know, 70 year old guy staging in people's restaurants, what, like, no. showing up and be like, is it okay if I work? Because <laughs> I, I get so much out of it. Amazing though, that's I mean that's what all the good ones, right? You like there's always something to learn and to take from another culture, so to take from fun. another restaurant, another talented chef. Like yeah, I know that was so much fun. Yeah, I mean it, it's like it has nothing to do with the result and what you get out of it to do later, even though that is a benefit. It's like a side effect of it, mm-hmm. but um, like I think that's like the the action is the juice, you know, like mm-hmm. just doing that just for the sake of doing it is exactly the only reason I needed to do it. I, I get it. I'm a very big, like, experience over material things kind of person. Like, I'm 100%. always, like, when I, like, gifts for people, like, mm-hmm. for me, like, I do not want, like, a material gift. Like, take me right. out for a really nice dinner. Take me out on a ferry ride to walk, you know, like, yep. those, like things yep. like that to me, like... We don't need stuff. No, we don't need we stuff. Need I got too much life. shit as it is. Yeah. And I'm... We can I, buy more things. Yeah. We can't buy another day of yeah. living on this earth. Yeah, so we can't buy... Oh, I wish I'd gotten on that ferry sunset ride yesterday or yep. had that really nice dinner. Like, that's... Nope. That's for me. Those are cannot commoditize it. You yeah. have to experience it. Those are the important things. Um, One of our hosts uh, in a Servos uh, stay, he said, we like to say it's the moments over the monuments. So when you travel, like I think about that was in this little seaside town in Catalonia and it happened to be uh, the autumn equinox. So because they're you know pagan before the country that, you know, uh, drew a line around him as mm-hmm. Catholic, they would still do their ritual of, you know, dressing up like like pan and like marching down the uh, the hill and like a drum line, firecrackers on some pagan shit, you know? And I was I like, see, that. I'm glad we saw that moment. And then the next day we saw the, the you know, Salvador Dali Museum. So we saw the monument, but the mo- but I will cherish the moment more than the... the making it to the mind. It's always like the little things you stumble upon on when you're traveling. You yeah. know, we can yeah. all find the, you know, the, the, the big the restaurants the that park. everyone's talking, but it is, it's yeah. those like places that you just wander mm-hmm. into that. Oh, just here a tip for anyone traveling. Just go into the places that are busy. If you're <laughs> in a country and you don't speak the language, don't yeah. sit there and do what I do for an hour and try mm-hmm. to find a spot on your phone. No, just, Look around you, go to a busy area and go into a restaurant that's busy because the locals know or get in an Uber or a cab and ask those people yeah. where to go, right? Go to a busy bar and then ask the bartender where there to go. There you go. That's, that's such <laughs> yeah. a good tip. So where do you, I, I didn't realize that you were like, I mean, I knew you traveled and I didn't know you were so well traveled and had taken this grand expedition yeah. with your with your wife, which is so much fun. Um, is there one place in particular that you have been that has really inspired you or i mean i'm sure that every place that you've gone has has had an impact on oh, on, yeah, on you and how you cook yeah i mean most recently the big inspirational push was on maui because i went there for our honeymoon which was the first time i'd been there but not the first time for my wife and all of the rainforest fruits and then the uh, the way the mountain goes up it hits all these microclimates mm-hmm. so you can get like 
sort of foresty ferns from the eucalyptus forest microclimate 10 minutes away from a place where like Southeast Asian fruit got brought sort of immigration and then mainland Chinese fruits are grown at another level up country. Mexicans who were brought in to help learn about ranching brought the cactuses that they're pop, you know, like, yeah. yeah. And so uh, it blew my mind and it was all things that you couldn't get here. Like, Every single thing you can't ever get in the Northwest, that's like everything that they have there. Yeah. Tropical fish and all these rad fruits. And so we went there in 2019 to kind of do this sabbatical that um, that I was telling you about. And I I was flirting with, you know, renting a place. And I started partnering with this great chef. uh, His name is Yeshua Goodman. Mm -hmm. He has an outfit called Kiave Outdoor where you know they'll fly you in a helicopter from your resort in Wailea to the top of the mountain and then we cook outside over wood fire with uh you know spiny lobster that we night dived for the night before that sounds amazing it was incredible Sign me up for that <laughs> yeah I got to plug into that scene and, and uh, do a couple of dinners and I was like well, I'm just gonna do this stuff and why not see what happens <laughs> and uh and then COVID came and sort of destroyed that a little bit of a wrench into all our plans yeah so tourism stopped and right but instead i grew the garden and and you know became more experimental at home and um would go to like botanical nurseries and you know i have a line of things growing like um yerba mate and uh bay rum leaf you know from the laurel family but Mm -hmm. the caribbean all these exotic like spices and, and botanicals that you can't grow them here. But uh, I, I mean, I just wanted to get the most out of being in that microclimate because after 10 years of just chasing the seasons around in the Northwest, it was almost becoming like stressful <laughs> to make the most out of the time where you get the apricots, yeah. the stone fruit, <laughs> it's on everything on stone the menu. And you better like preserve hundreds of pounds of it or so you're not going to have jam and you're going to run out before you know, so I'm ready for that again. But uh, that was, I, I got to really play that one to the bone. But I was, I went to the farmer's market there a few years ago on a trip in like January. And I was just sitting there just crushing like one young coconut after another. Right. And I think that the young, the guy working, and he was, it was kind of like, what's wrong with you, bro? <laughs> like, why are you chugging coconuts i was like you have to understand i live in seattle you don't get it like yeah that's the best part of like like (laughs) hawaii the roadside coconuts are anywhere tropical like just like i remember going to argentina and Mm -hmm. and colombia and just like yeah it's like 10 cents or something like ridiculous they'll chop you off like yeah can yeah. we can we make that happen in Seattle, Brendan? Are you gonna bring <laughs> you know, fresh I mean, coconuts here? No, no. <laughs> no, that's not your plight. Well, I mean, you can't really like can't really do it. Yeah, we did have fresh coconuts. We served at our kind of experimental juice bar we had open for a short time. You guys have been doing it all, and so yeah. if you have, if y'all haven't been following him and his amazing uh-huh. acclaimed restaurant here on Bainbridge Island, they just they they did a lot of great like we said pop ups, different mm-hmm. stuff daily. Tried a lot of stuff. Again, hate the word pivot at this point, but but that's what you guys did. Pivoted in many directions. Yes, pivoted many pivots. Pivot, pivot, pivot. Hashtag all the pivots. Hashtag, hashtag all the pivots. Um, But you guys did a great job. It was brutal, you know, but um, I mean, I couldn't take any of this for granted when this was falling apart. I mean, it was like, I'm going to lose everything I work for. We'll be in debt. Uh, 
at some point I'll be able to go get a job as like a hotel chef, except for I'll be bankrupt. Um, you know, it just seemed like, but you, I, but I try you, not to go very far down that line of thinking. Yeah. I mean, you know, my mom did, she's filling the blank. <laughs> I just mom. couldn't help but think of all the eight-hour oh, days. I just couldn't help but remind. Uh, thanks, Ma. Like, thank you. I, that wasn't in the <laughs> yeah. back of my head constantly. Yeah. Sorry, um, Mom. But, <laughs> I love you, Mom. Um, but you guys did a great job. And, um, yeah, so walk us through a little bit of just, like, where you guys are now. Mm-hmm. Um, just, yeah, because yeah. you well, just yeah. rebranded. And, right. I mean, like, you know, again, everyone listening, like, you know, he had, like, you know, the Hitchcock on on Bainbridge Island since 2010. Yeah, Hitchcock is, Restaurant. Is, is, we closed it because of COVID, but it would have been its 10th anniversary have, in okay. May 2010. Okay. Or 2020, sorry. And then um, we didn't reopen it. I mean, we decided to make the shift from the Sack of Burgers pop-up to the Hitchcock Burger House, which I have already seen is just a much better fit for that room that's, that's part of the street the way it's frequented. I mm-hmm. mean, there's, there's people walking around who just need some food to eat. That's great for their trip Yeah, that day. And um, not to say we won't get back to fine dining somewhere else at some point, but I think that's what this one's going to be for now. And, um, you know, I always like to do a lot of different things. So being able to just kind of do it quickly, mm-hmm. um, it, it kind of took some of the pressures off. Like, you know, it was like couldn't if, overthink it. If you closed a restaurant before, they'd say, "Well, it was a good run, but I guess you just didn't make it." Yeah, and this was the perfect time to just kind of like you want to call it. it let's call it. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. was like you know, COVID. You know? Yeah, and then um, we had this the deli next door mm-hmm. and the bar next door to that. And 2019, we had them both open, and it was busy. But it was kind of brutal. You know, we just added this bar to the deli space and we're having a hard time staffing it. The costs were really high. It was the same problem that everybody had in 2019. So we decided to take everything we learned from the before times and COVID and attempt to build this Cafe Hitchcock that is the second Cafe Hitchcock. We have one that's in hibernation, downtown Seattle. Okay. Um, And it modernizes what we did at the deli. So instead of just being the kind of temple of smoked meats and sandwiches and retail, it was like um, delicious sandwiches, but also uh, grain bowls and smoothies and breakfast and cappuccinos, and lattes, mm-hmm. and kombucha, and like all day cafe, everyday food, both indulgent and things that you can just like feel great when you ate them. Mm-hmm. And it tastes good. Tastes great also. Yes. Um, which, you know, it's been really successful at our cafe downtown because you want to be able to eat this for lunch on Wednesday mm-hmm. and not like fall asleep at your computer afterwards. right? <laughs> or, or hit the gym and then go on your happy hour date after work, you mm-hmm. know, um, not going into a food coma because <laughs> not every time, not every time, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean like the gastro pub thing of 2010, it was, it was cool and all that, but you know, not every meal can really be like a half pound burger with like a seared foie gras supplement no, on, like a, on like a slice of deep fried pate campagna <laughs> on a brioche bun. Otherwise, I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's just more, 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 yeah. you know? So, um, cafe Hitchcock, our new cafe and bar on Bainbridge Island is 
takes a lot of lessons and then it's we're we're projecting into the future like this is what we're going to need this summer apparently june 30 when it's wide open right that just yeah again we're doing this um podcast interview on i think it's may 13th so Mm -hmm. we just had the news drop that mask wearing inside if you're vaccinated is is no longer going to be required by the cdc and that washington state is going to be opened up at 100 percent capacity by june 30th or before if we hit 70 yeah. percent vaccinations um in the state so yeah it's really it's exciting. An exciting day and i it, it feel- was a good time to do that renovation <laughs> yeah it really was and yeah. we've you know we've talked about this a little too it's just been it's just been so hard to watch everyone struggle through COVID and now everyone has pivoted and, and spent so much money to redo their restaurants to make them COVID friendly. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're going back into normalcy, but, but still it's not that we're going to be a hundred percent normal or anything, but it's just been, it won't be, but it's come, you know, we have new challenges, but I mean, the, the real star of the show throughout COVID was our pizzeria Bruchato because we didn't have to change what we did there uh, 20 times because people knew how to take pizza out to go. Yeah. And so we could just say, well, there's no, we don't have to change the menu uh, significantly. Mm -hmm. There were shortages of, you know, like you couldn't get any burrata for a long time. Or, really? Uh, fresh mozzarella. I didn't know that there was a burrata shortage. Oh, I my. mean, it's like production, customs. So weird. Everything. You couldn't get anything. It was just weird, anything, the things right. that were happening yeah. during COVID. Like, I fought like hell to buy a propane heater for this giant tent we were going to do in this parking lot. This I was going to rent. You know, there was, of all the stuff we did, there was things we didn't do. We were going to do a farm dinner series in the summer of 2020, but it just kept getting worse, you know? <laughs> So we couldn't even have, like, we were like, well, 50 people outside spaced out in their parties. Right. And then it was like, I guess we're not going to do I it. I guess we can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. But let's do it this year. Can we do it this year? Can we well, do it Well, no, dinner? no. I think we're just going to run our restaurants we're gonna, this year. We're just going to yeah. run. We're just, yeah. I might do a dinner or two, but um, it was actually one of the lessons I appreciated. You know, when I was, like, chasing the stars, we had to do events every weekend, all summer long. It was just part of being visible and doing PR and also giving back. I mean, a lot of it was charitable and it was an honor to be asked, you know, when you're a young chef in 2013 and they say, um, we want you to be our third chef for this dinner at Oxbow Farms for the stewardship partners. And last year it was Matt Dillon and the year before that it was Maria Hines. Mm-hmm. It was, it's such an incredible honor to be aligned with chefs Absolutely. of this stature. So you're like, yes. And then at some point, Every weekend from April until October, you've got this monster thing that doesn't have anything to do with your business. And it's, and it's a lot to ask. And, you know, we don't get paid for it. And so no, that, that is that's a lot of thing about honestly, and I've been talking about this subject to some of my other chef friends in the industry. It's like a lot of times chefs are just, I mean, most of the time you guys are expected to work an event and to just do it for the promotion just for the, for the, we, we show exposure. up with product that we buy, <laughs> that you bought with cash. and then they're making money off this event. And a right. lot of times the chefs aren't, aren't getting, or paid. it all goes to charity, but you know, there was one, uh, there was one charity that, wanted us to show up at the oyster bar for three or 400 people. And I said, you know, if you guys just cover the cost of the oysters, I'll take care of all the labor and we'll execute it. Which is a lot. I thought that would have been the the other thousand dollars. Yeah. And they said, well, you know, the guests, the the chefs donating the product is one of the things that makes this such a successful event. Oh, it does. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought, you know, if I I really want to support the Pacific Northwest Ballet, 
with $2,000, I could buy a couple of season tickets. Yeah. And then uh, my staff could go have this nice benefit. Yeah. It's, it's really a lot. It's a, uh, this is a whole separate thing, but no, but like it is the remnants of the service class mm -hmm. occupation. Absolutely. Being a cook or a chef and a restaurant hospitality worker mm -hmm. is that we paint our face in some ways and yeah. sing and dance for the, the, the wealthy show up at the gala and donate class yeah. of citizens. Yeah. Why should you have to donate product to an we, event where people are paying hundreds of dollars to attend? There's not anything in the budget to cover right. your cost. And yeah. I, I definitely think that's something that hopefully I, I hope the industry is going to get better about that. I, I'm certain that this has fixed that because, uh, a lot of the nonprofits, I mean, it's important work they do, but they weren't able to raise any money last year without the galas. Yeah. I think that there's right now the rubber is hitting the road as far as like the changes we need to make to make it work. Mm -hmm. And so we're just saying now it's time to do it. So, um, you know, now that we've made all the changes to survive, now we need to make some changes to thrive. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a little learning curve, I think, for uh, the public who are like so glad it's back to normal and you're yeah, like but... no normal didn't work yeah and we're still at 50 percent capacity yeah not anywhere near normal absolutely <laughs> and it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how the restaurant um service industry reshapes itself a bit because i do think that really too in the past few years that we've really been seeing this big shift in the service industry from being this just wear yourself ragged working 80 hours a week everyone in the kitchen is you know drinking all night after what god knows what yeah. else we're seeing this shift right. to industry professionals restaurateurs chef owners that are really committed to giving their staff like a better quality of life yeah. and you know there's been a big like surgeons in the service industry in the past couple of years of just like a sober lifestyle and you know like yeah. ben's friends you know right. that like chef gabriel rucker in portland just oh, like yeah. so many things and just it's been really good to see just like overall i do feel like the the service in the restaurant industry is moving to where they're giving yeah. you know their employees a, a, a more a better quality of life more healthy you don't have to work 80 hours a week you don't have to be if we want respect yeah we have to treat ourselves with respect. Absolutely. And then just demand that. Yeah. And then maybe our profession will be viewed in a different light. And it, and it should be. I mean, like the it's, restaurants are so important. Chefs yeah. are so important. The act of feeding someone and nurturing someone is just. I think that we're almost um, in this post. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say post, but maybe we hit peak like PC to the degree, uh, you know, along with me too to where um, we kind of remember that restaurants are still about uh, people getting together and eating and imbibing and, you know, drinking and going home and mm -hmm. having sex and, and having fun. Yeah. And like, it's okay for this to be like a fun, the inappropriate things happen in the front <laughs> back floor. Like I'm not saying, it should be some sort of free-for-all because I just said we have to treat ourselves with respect. Of course. And not all be a bunch of drug-addicted alcoholics. Right. You know, That's um, the goal. You know, yeah. But we also, we're dealing in pleasure you know? Yeah. That, that's your job. To, and, and, to... and we need to be like, except like we want to be like body positive and all these things. Like we need to realize like 
this is people come here to, to, to have, let it go. Yeah. To have a good time. To have a good time. And that means a lot of things, mm-hmm. you know? And let um, loose, like, and, yeah, and you're the facilitators of are, that. Yeah. You are giving people that environment. So we see come. it every single night. Yep. It's like somewhere between having a, a daycare and a circus <laughs> and a brothel. Or something. Yeah. And, it's amazing. And those are the things that really, that was why it was exciting and fun to be part of it when I was like a kid. You know, I could, I was like 15 years old and I could work until one o'clock in the morning because the, the late bus came in from, you know, the Denali national park dropped 200 tourists on us. And, and, you know, it was, it was fun. And, um, you know, I mean, I just, I think that we've been through some challenges in the industry, but those things, the people who are fed by that and like find that to be captivating and, um, I don't know, like gratifying Mm -hmm. that, you know, we're all going to continue to do that in until the sun goes down. Yeah. Well, and I mean, what a, what an important job too, to be like the steward of, of, it it really is. I mean, especially now more than ever, it's a bigger responsibility than it's ever been because before you just had to be kind of a steward of this great fun environment for people to cut loose. And now there's all this added pressure Mm -hmm. for safety and keep you safe, keep your staff safe, keep, keep the guests safe. Didn't we learn this year that if you don't hang out with your friends and enjoy yourself, that you will suffer for it. I mean, I didn't learn that because because you got to be out, had you, to do all those things. Yeah, but uh, for I mean, I have a story I hear over and over, and I think it's tragic. It, yeah, they're just like I lost a year of my life. I yeah. have nothing to show for it except for that I'm depressed, overweight, and uh, I'm drinking way too much. <laughs> that was me. I yeah, and it's like, man, I'm so sorry. I <laughs> guess we need to have. I guess we need to gather with other humans. Well, and I feel like too, and I I feel I I'm reading this. You know, we're we're going into our own like roaring twenties right now. Like this people are waking up and I'm, I'm talking to people like you when I'm talking to, you know, I'm staying at the state hotel. I'm talking to Quentin and the managers there and I'm talking to chef Shoda and I'm talking Mm -hmm. to all these people in the hospitality industry. And like, it's back. People are, people are ready for it. People are, you know, the state hotel is sold out next weekend. You know, it's, it's amazing. I love to hear it. You know, like my chef friends like, Oh yeah, we were booked out for brunch last weekend, downtown Seattle. Like I just, I'm, I'm loving it. And I think, you know, like it's been, you've been a constant and just seeing like the more creative things you're going to do now that we can actually do stuff now, now you can really like, you've been so creative with the restrictions. So like, you know, it's going to be so fun. I was really supported by my staff to be able to be a constant because I left it up to them at every turn. You know, you don't have the power to say, look guys, we're doing this whether you want to or not. And I wouldn't have wanted to say that it was always like when you're comfortable and this is the degree we'll do it. Everybody would agree and we'd do it. And fortunately, most of my managers and staff involved were like, they wouldn't have had it any other way. You know, it did not matter how much of a supplement you would get on top of your unemployment for staying home. They wanted to feed people. They wanted to work. Yeah. And it didn't sound like fun to yeah. not work, you know? And it's not like to not work, to not do what we do. Yeah. It's why it's to, like what to put the to pants on To not feed people, to not have a purpose, to not, yeah. Yeah. That's what you guys love to do. Just sit around and pine for it. And at this, I was a little, there, there were times where looking at this all financially, I would say, God, I think we would have been better off to just close and pay the rent and just suck it up. 
And because uh, you could do all these efforts and still lose a lot and of still money. lose money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we certainly have. Yeah. But at the same time, um, we're coming out of this with like, we still have our staff and it's impossible for anyone else to hire anybody right yeah. now. Um, it is making it hard to like kind of reopen things if we want. Yeah. But, but the core still here starting over from zero. I just don't know how I would do it with six restaurants. You, how, yeah, how, yeah, how, a, you a, had to press on, you had to make it work and, yeah. and, and you did. And like you said, like now you've got staff and like we were talking about before this, I literally every chef or restaurateur friend that I have, I has said to me yeah. in the last Can't month, I, yeah. if you know someone looking for a job, right. you know, someone yeah. in the kitchen, front of house, back of house, like we, 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 people we have community people. goodwill in spades, you know, what we lost in profitability, we got in like taking care of people which is the whole point. That's what we were trying to do anyway, is take care of people. And you really did. And that's, I mean, I think it's like the word restaurant means to restore and it's, that's what it does for the community. And, yeah. and you guys have done a really good job with that. Well, Brendan, thank you so much. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to top off our wine here. You guys, we are actually drinking uh grow grain rosé right now while we do this, which uh, Brendan is serving downstairs and this winery is out of Walla Walla. So I wanted to give them a little shout out to a little cheers. Um, they're a husband and wife team and the rosé is delicious. Um, Brendan, tell us just quickly, just give us a rundown. So you can find Brendan at, at Chef Brendan on Instagram, and then all of his restaurants are also on Instagram. But tell us just what you've got going on in all the right. future. Tell people to come out where yeah. people can come see you and eat your food. Elevator pitch. Uh, on Bainbridge Island, we have uh, Pizzeria Bruciato, our Neapolitan pizzeria that has a fine cocktail bar, delicious antipasti and we seat a hundred it's the big fun rollicking place with the eyelid window with all the fresh air nice uh we have the hitchcock burger house where we serve nothing but 30-day dry aged locally raised beef from the northwest um in smash burger format and what i call the bougie burgers <laughs> the bougie burgers it's actually the kind of burger i like the most is like you know ridiculous pacific rogue oregon wagyu and wild mushrooms and like i yeah. I, I didn't i don't have like a smash burger childhood flavor <laughs> thing so i'm like give me the like 20 dollar one with all the stuff on it um and you know our own fries and fried vegetables and uh, all of our own sauces like it's it's the burger joint i always wanted to open but never would have if it hadn't been for covid for covid we've got cafe hitchcock which and the bar cafe hitchcock which uh which we just sat at and had cocktails before this wine oh my god tell us your bar manager tony tony, tony lombardi we are so lucky to have uh, got him into the mix. Very talented man. Very talented man. Delicious cocktails. Jack of all trades. Fantastic. Uh, we call them hospitalitarians. Uh, you know? Hospitalitarians. I like that. Yeah, I got that from our beverage director, Alex Stang, who is, uh, she took a leave of absence during COVID and then she had a baby. So, uh, you know, congrats to her. And this next steps. Hopefully one day we'll get her back. Um, but... Uh, the, that scene there, Carly Wallace, our GM, and our chef, uh, Grant Rico, and a culinary director, Paul Mancebo, have all just been working around the clock to make this all-day cafe so solid, and it is, and I'm excited. It's our second day of service today. Yeah, second day, so yeah. just a really great timing on doing this podcast. Yeah. I didn't yeah. realize when we scheduled this, like, yesterday yep, was, was, the, was the reopening, the rebranding, so yep. yeah, so... 
Come over to Bainbridge Island, check out the bar, check out Hitchcock Deli. Check out Bruchado. Check out, yeah, get get pizza, get burgers, get, uh, you know, yeah. get some drinks. Chef uh, Brennan has everything you need <laughs> right over here on Bainbridge Island. We're taking care of a lot of the bases. The other part that I have to mention is that our downtown properties, uh, Cafe Hitchcock, the Exchange Building in Seattle, and Bartalio uh, on First Avenue, both of them at Marion. This is where the walkway from the ferry drops off. And they're going to build a beautiful new passenger walkway that goes to the gorgeous new ferry terminal. Of course, all of it got completely destroyed. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's under massive construction. Like, since we went there, they tore down the vine. Yeah, you know, it's, it's been that. It's, it's yeah, been yeah, we lived in that neighborhood. So. I know, yeah, you get it. <laughs> but, um, you know, Central Business District, First Avenue, Seattle, is not going away. Like, it's not going to be this irrelevant, uh, yeah. apocalyptic landscape. <laughs> probably not, not forever. <laughs> probably not past July. Yeah. I mean, if it's wide open with no masks on, game's on. Why yeah. Come back on. So those are what we call hibernating right now. Yeah. Which means we So have, you do, you do foresee yourself reopening those. I absolutely will. Okay. We have a fantastic relationship with the, the company who owns that building. They are looking at the long-term benefits. Uh, they, they don't want to rent it out to an Amazon Go store. Even if they could have one there, they want Bartolio and Kathy Hitchcock back when it makes sense. So shout out to EQ office. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. We, we learned who the good guys were and the bad guys were during this period of time. Yeah, we really did too. Cause we saw so many, I can think of some of my favorites. I hate to name names. Lakosho getting, yeah. getting basically pushed out of uh, oh, their yeah. building. And yeah. again, hate to... some, some places you miss one month of rent during a pandemic and then change the locks on you. Right. Like in Georgetown. So you know, it's been it's been a wild ride, but hey, I think you've you've no, done okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm I have felt palpably grateful during this process in a way that I don't think I ever have before. So you know, it's it's interesting how um, you can like win but really lose yeah lose but really win yeah well i think you've definitely won and it's been honestly so much fun to just watch what you've been doing during the pandemic and seeing someone who's enthusiastic and excited and optimistic while obviously you're dealing with a lot of shit that's not <laughs> super fun but yeah. still and to see again all the things that you the new things that you guys have tried and you've been successful but you've tried a bunch of stuff and yeah. done it with a big smile on your face and fed your community and been yeah. there for your community and that's been just it's it's been inspiring to watch and it was so fun to come over here last year right when y'all were getting started and yeah. the oysters and like it's, it's it's it was great i mean I have to pinch myself sometimes the people who've kind of like stood by me through this. And, uh, I, I just think that, um, you know, fostering these kind of environments is kind of part of my role now as a, I mean, God, I don't know, you're 40, you own a bunch of restaurants. It's you're becoming this like elder chef. <laughs> oh God, don't say that. I don't mean elder, but like the 29 year olds yeah. who are standing where I was when I was, that them there mm -hmm. i want to make the thing for them or help facilitate that in a way that i didn't have available to me so that you know that we can all move forward together and i did have business mentors mm -hmm. who were 10 years ahead of me and in a different financial footing than i was you know so now i get to to try to kind of do that and um these these men and women have just been like so exemplary throughout this whole thing. I mean, they're creating, they're 
they're doing this shit every day that makes the the places open and otherwise you wouldn't have a place to go eat during yeah. this, this whole experience you know yeah you're, you're at home you're working remotely your kids don't go to school there you are drinking too much making there you miserable. and the fact you can go get that pizza takeout is mm-hmm. only because these people were like I choose to just. Yeah, be I awesome. can sit home on unemployment, but I would rather be making pizza, making it's, burgers. It's, it's like there is no because. Yeah, you know? yeah. You just, it's like you have to get it out. Yeah. And, um, you know, what an honor because in 2019, 2018, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of talk about just like, is the industry dead? Are there no more such things as cooks anymore? Um, Twenty twenty just leveled the playing field. Yeah. And and we're all like starting over almost. But you again, you've come out so well. I can't say enough good things about your restaurants on Bainbridge or you as a person. This is really God, only the me. second Jeez. or third time yeah. we've hung out. And <laughs> true, I yeah. feel you know, I, I guess I didn't talk to you. I mean, we chatted for an hour before this. He, yeah. he gave me a lot of good food. Uh, Tony gave me some amazing cocktails. You guys, I cannot tell you enough just how awesome of an experience it is to come over here, eat and drink. Chef Brennan is here a lot. He may be here when you come over, but make the time, come over, see their great staff, see the cool things they're doing, have something at the cafe or pizza or a burger. You've got got you covered. You got, yeah, they've got you covered. Great cocktails, great, great wine here, drinking a, a Washington wine. So, um, Chef, thank you so much for, for Cheers. being here. Cheers. And, and that's a wrap, y'all. Thanks for listening. Episode 5 on the books. Done. Son. All right. Bye, guys. Thank y'all. <laughs>